Hello and welcome to the Premier League Central Eurocast, your first stop for all opinions and news on the Euros. I'm joined by my good friends Luke Biles and James Wilkinson and I'm Matt Gay. How are we, gentlemen? Yeah, not too bad. A couple of games in now with the Euros, the excitement's kicking in, so yeah, hoping it continues. Yeah, really been enjoying watching it all so far, just sitting in front of the TV for like hours straight. It's brilliant, really. So yeah, really, really good stuff. Good, 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 good. Glad to hear we're all okay. Well, let's dive straight in, gentlemen, and um, we'll just jump into the news. The first bit of news that um, uh, broke earlier um, is that Dean Henderson is out of the England Euro squad. Aaron Ramsdale has been called up to replace him. Does that mean now that Jordan, um, <laughs> nearly said Jordan Henderson, um, Jordan Pickford's starting spot is now pretty much concrete with um, Dean Henderson leaving the squad? Yeah, I think it is. I don't really think it was ever in doubt um, over Jordan Pickford uh, being the number one throughout the whole tournament. I think Gareth Southgate loves his distribution and how he can start the attack from the back. Um I think if there's going to be any game that he doesn't play, it might be that third game if we've already qualified from the, from the group. Um, you know, so I think he might make a few changes for that, try and, you know, try and avoid any injuries. Um, but that's probably the only game that I can think of where Jordan Pickford won't start for England in this tournament. Yeah, it might be a little bit like we did in the World Cup um, when we had that Belgium game um, when we'd already kind of wrapped up qualification. He might rotate a few in that. But yeah, like James says, Pickford's always been a Southgate man, hasn't he? He's never really put too much too much wrong in an England shirt even though for Everton he's probably been a bit shaky and if Nick Pope was fit for this tournament then I would have been tempted to possibly go with him but I think like you say now that Dean Henderson's dropped out and Ramsdale and Johnson are the two other options neither of whom would fill me with massive confidence I think Pickford's yeah, completely cemented and, and he's going to be in almost every game well, England started off with an impressive win against Croatia that we'll have a look a bit um, at later. But Scotland and Wales had worrying starts to the tournament. Um, Wales getting a, a one-all draw against Switzerland, um, but looking pretty toothless in attack. And Scotland uh, lost 2-0 in Glasgow to the Czech Republic with similar problems in front of goal. Um, gentlemen, what did you think of um, of those performances? Do we think that they're good teams that are just missing a striker or, or do you think that um, their Euro streams could, be, uh, could already be looking over? I think they could be looking over. Um, I think Wales has probably got the better chance out of the two of getting that third place qualification. Um, but, you know, let's not beat around the bush with Wales and Scotland. You know, they're number nine to championship quality strikers. You've got Ruth for Wales, who plays up front for Cardiff. And then you've got Lyndon Dykes up front for Scotland, who plays for QPR. So, yeah, they just haven't got the, the quality of striker. And for Scotland, the best player they've got is the left-back, Andy Robertson. So, I don't know what you're expecting him to do, because he's got to do it for you know, at the back and going forward at the same time. Um I think the the Wales one is probably the most concerning just because they have got a little bit more international tournament experience than the Scotland team. And Gareth Bale, you know, if Wales are going to put the hopes on him this tournament, he didn't really offer anything at all in the game. And to be honest, they got lucky with Switzerland getting that goal disallowed in the 85th, 86th minute for offside. Um, so, yeah, I think it's worrying signs for the two of them. 
But I think if if any of them are going to scrape through, I think it'll just be Wales just getting that third place, just in case, you know, Turkey don't turn up or, um, yeah, I think I think that's what it might come down to. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree with anything James has said there. Really, I think the 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 thing we've that they've got to hold on to is that the way the format works is obviously that the four of the six best third place teams qualify. So there's always like that little bit to play for, even if they don't get a positive result um, in the first match, which they, they obviously didn't. But with Scotland, I think ultimately, even more so than Wales, they just aren't, aren't good enough at this level. I mean, they started brightly enough against the Czech Republic and then goal scoring really is an issue. I'm not sure why Steve Clark opted to go with um, Lyndon Dykes over Che Adams. I thought when Adams came on, he looked more of a threat to the Czech back line and Dykes really didn't challenge them too much. Um, obviously, it's a bit of a sucker punch when you can see the goal like they conceded from that Patrick shit goal, basically from inside his own half. But, they've, you know, that's out of, you look at the fixtures for Scotland, particularly in the group, same group with England and Croatia, the Czech game is really the one you've got to bank on if, if, you're, if you're a Scottish fan. And I think they were, the atmosphere at Hamden seemed really lively yesterday. Everyone seemed bang up for it as you would be going into your first tournament in 23 years but yeah goal scoring really really is an issue there and I don't think Scotland are really going to trouble England or Croatia they might come back to bite me on Friday we'll wait and see but I think they're, they're probably done um, with Wales yes they're better than Scotland I think and at least you didn't lose you don't want to lose your first game um, of a championship and despite my bold prediction the other day saying that Turkey may, may be the dark horses they looked really really poor against Italy I thought so they've got a bit of hope there, especially they play them next, um, which I think is a really big bonus because they played Italy next and lost, losing, you know, going into the last game with just one point. It really will be a mountain to climb. But going up against Turkey, they've got a lot more potential than, than Scotland. You've got that kind of trio of Gareth Bale, Dan James and Aaron Ramsey behind probably Kiefer Moore up top. And you think on paper, those three, are ta- you know, they're talented players. We know what Gareth Bale can do on his day. He's got the, he didn't do it against Switzerland, but you wouldn't bag against him pulling it out of the bag against against the Turks. So Wales have got a little bit more hope for. Um, they really need a positive result against Turkey, but it sounds harsh to say, but I think Scotland have done already. Yeah, it would be, I mean, this isn't going to sound very English of me, but I think it'd be really unfortunate to see Scotland um, uh, just go out with zero, um, just go out with zero points. I think um, I actually was quite impressed with the majority of their play against uh, the Czech Republic. I actually thought for the whole night they were probably the better team, but unfortunately, as we discussed, they don't really have a striker to put the ball in the back of their net. Um, and um, uh, the Czech Republic's keeper also had a fantastic game. And now moving on to um, certainly the biggest story of the uh, of the Euro so far, Christian Eriksen um, with. Uh, the horrible circumstances surrounding him and, and the amount of praise that should be uh, leveled at um, his teammates for how they reacted. And um, especially uh, Simon Kiar, apologies for um, any poor pronunciation, and Kasper Schmeichel um, uh, going over to help um, his his partner, um, his wife even, um, uh, when Erison was on the ground, what what do we think about the stories coming out about UEFA basically pressuring Denmark um, with the threat of a forfeit to basically get the game done within the next um, uh, twenty four hours? It's it, it's it's mind blowing really to hear that coming out. Um, as, you know, they was they put a statement out on Twitter to say um, 
you know, there would be a decision made at quarter to quarter to eight European time, quarter to seven our time. And to be honest with you, I, I did sort of, I expected that outcome. I expected UEFA to maybe push them towards it, but I didn't think they'd actually do it. Um, I think there's a difference between expecting and, and what actually happens. Um, I understand that it's not, it's maybe not like the Premier League where, you know, there's seven days between games and you can possibly play another game midweek, but you know, what happened on Saturday is, is, is something you, you never want to see on a football pitch. Um, it's something you don't want to see in life. Somebody just, just fall to the ground the way he did. And obviously the way you've just spoken about um, the two Denmark players there, I think Kasper Schmeichel, I think we've seen it from him before. Obviously when the, the Leicester City owner sadly passed away in the helicopter crash, I think Kasper Schmeichel was the first person to come out and sort of make a statement and was at the forefront of that as well. Um, but I think a lot a big shout out needs to go to Anthony Taylor as well, the English referee. I think it's his first international tournament he's ever, ever refereed at. It's something that I, I know you, you must practice for, um, you know, when, you, when you're going through this training as a referee, but it's never something you expect to happen. Um, and I think the way he re- responded to the situation, getting the medics onto the pitch as quick as possible, um, I think a lot of credit needs to go to him as well and, and his forf- and his uh, officials. Yeah, I completely echo everything James said there. It's one thing practicing for it, but it's another thing being in that situation, having the kind of quick thinking necessary, which he did think it was only three seconds between Ericsson collapsing and, the, and then obviously the medics coming on. Um, I was quite fortunate in some ways that I didn't see this live. I didn't watch the match live and I'm kind of glad that that was the case given the amount of people have said how disturbing it was was to watch. Um, obviously, the main thing is that he seems at, at present Touchwood to be okay. Um, I think there were some reports earlier today that he was kind of laughing and joking with, with his friends and family in, in hospital in Copenhagen, which is obviously fantastic news. Um, so fingers crossed he can you know, have a full recovery and, and we'll see what happens in the future there. Um, in terms of the UEFA story, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think UEFA are saying that they need 48 hours rest between fixtures and with the next Denmark's next fixture, um, you know, it was they kind of had to almost play it as they did um, or, the, or the next day at noon. But the way that Peter Schmeichel and, and Kasper Schmeichel have, have been speaking in the last 24, 48 hours, they've been saying they didn't really feel like Denmark were given much of a choice and they were almost forced in, into it. Um, Martin Braithwaite as well, the Barcelona forward, he was saying that they kind of just chose the, the least worst option, I think were his words. And they maybe they just, once that it was established that Ericsson was in some kind of stable condition, they, they were almost like, right, look, let's just get it over with because we're going to have to do it at some point. But the players I don't think should be made in that position. And we obviously saw that they went on to lose the game to Finland and you you probably would that probably wouldn't have happened I don't think any of the players were in the right frame of mind to go back onto the pitch after that um so I think a huge amount of credit has to go to all of the all of the Danish players and the Finnish players as well it wouldn't have been easy for them it's it's hard to it's difficult to remember that this is Finland's first ever game at any major tournament and such an extraordinary terrible event has happened in what should be a really you know kind of great occasion for Finnish football fans their first ever game at a tournament and it's been marred by such a horrific um, incident um, so a huge amount of credit has got to go to them as well as everyone in the Denmark team uh, I, I personally I think this game could have just gone down as a draw as a nil-nil it was nil-nil at the time just give them a point each I don't think Finland or Denmark would have quarrelled about that too much and then you, you just move on um, 
forcing them to play and forcing this kind of spectacle. I don't think even any of the Danish fans in the crowd really wanted to be there after what happened. So it's disappointing to hear. and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it as the tournament goes on. But like I say, the main thing is that at the moment, Ericsson is stable. He seems upbeat and in high spirits. And it's just great to see because it could have been really tragic otherwise. Yeah, um, absolutely agree with everything that you guys have been saying. And also just um, want to say on behalf of everyone at the Eurocast and the uh, Football Central Group as a whole that uh, we wish Christian Harrison and his family and um, his teammates and friends all the best. And uh, we're really glad to see that he's um, looking like he was recovering really well. So, yeah, best of luck, Christian. Um, right, so moving on. Um, having a look at England, um, I haven't been this impressed with um, with England for quite some time. And also, I've not been so happy to eat multiple slices of humble pie um, <laughs> at the same time because I saw that team uh, and I was horrified, to be honest. Um, Tyron Mings starting at, at centre-back after... Um, essentially shoulder charging someone off the ball <laughs> um, in one of the warm-up games um, worried me. And then having both left-backs on the bench for Kieran Trippier to start there, um, I thought was seriously worrying. But you know what? Proved wrong. And um, I'm very happy to eat the humble pie on that front. What did you guys think of the performance? And more specifically, what did you think of a uh, the Yorkshire Pirlo, Calvin Phillips? So, to be honest with you, I think everybody was pretty shocked when the team got leaked before the before it was even announced and everyone saw Trippier starting at left-back. And then when you hear that Phillips and Rice were, were starting, you know, you know, you must have thought, well, I definitely thought, oh, we're going for a back five in the opening game. Here we go, two defensive midfielders. But it, then to hear he went 4-3, well, it was basically a 4-3-3, wasn't it, with Mason Mount sort of playing in the number t- number 8, number 10 role. Um, I was pretty shocked. I think maybe his method behind Trippier starting there at left-back was we have nobody for set-pieces now that Trent Alexander-Arnold's gone out. So maybe you've just got to put Trippier in there and hope that he plays well in that position. I don't know what 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 it was, but you know, like he's just said, then really impressed with England. I think what impressed me the most was his the game went a little bit stale, particularly towards the middle of the first half. And I think that's in, in situations in previous tournaments or in previous competitive games where England were, that's where they've let the game go and pass them by. They've sort of become stale with it, but you can see they tried, they were trying to keep the game going. And, you know, they came out of the stale moments and obviously went one nil up uh, through Sterling. Um, but yeah, I thought defensively we looked, we looked really good. Tyrone Mings impressed me. Um, I think the midfield three was, was really, played really, really well together. And, and like you've just mentioned, the uh, the Yorkshire Perlow, Calvin Phillips. I mean, I think he was just, it was unbelievable, to be honest with you. I didn't really expect him to start in this game. Like we've spoken about previously, if Gareth Southgate was to go and make changes for that third game, if we've already qualified, that's maybe where I'd see Calvin Phillips starting. Um but the way he drove with the ball to set up Sterling for that for that first goal, um, that really impressed me. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's nice to start off with the win. It's nice to start off with the clean sheet. And um, let's not forget this Croatia side was in a World Cup final not too long ago. Um, so to to nullify them and for them not really to have a, 
a clear-cut chance. Um, I think everyone who is following England this tournament should be should be very happy with the start. Absolutely. I mean, England have never won a European Championships opening game ever. So on that front, it's absolutely a massive, massive bonus. Um, I think it was when the team selection came out, I wouldn't go as far to say I was I was annoyed or frustrated, but I was definitely underwhelmed. I think it was probably the kind of overriding emotion. Um, the two right backs with Trippier playing left back, I just didn't understand it at the time. Um, and with the Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice wing again, I thought it seems quite negative on paper. But um, obviously in hindsight, Phillips and Rice paired together were probably there to neutralise the Modric, Kovacic, Brozovic trio midfield. We know that's probably Croatia's kind of strongest area of the pitch so I imagine Southgate's thinking was stop them guys getting the ball to you know Kramerich and etc up top and then you kind of kill Croatia's whole game plan and any momentum they have and it worked a treat because while the game did go a little bit flat I'd put that down more to just the heat of more than anything England playing at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and it's you know hitting 27 28 degrees Celsius they're probably not used to that um I think we started really quickly, Foden hitting the post and, it's, and we looked really bright in the first 15 minutes or so, but then it did get a little bit flat. But I do think that was more just to do with the conditions than anything else. And luckily England won't be playing a two o'clock game again. They're all going to be evening kickoff, so it should be a bit a bit cooler. But um, yeah, it, it was just really great to see. Um, Sterling getting on the score sheet as well, his first goal at a major tournament. But like you say, for me, Calvin Phillips was absolutely man of the match. And the best thing as well is that there were so many players in there who didn't have a great deal of experience at this level or, or they may have had no experience at, at this level of a major tournament, but they all looked really composed, really level-headed. It was just a really pragmatic performance, I thought. And getting three points now in the opening game really takes the pressure off for what is going to be an absolute massive game on Friday. Obviously, it's a kind of a derby game with Scotland coming, coming to London, but Scotland needs to come and get something and we don't really need to win as much. Um, obviously, it'd be great to get the win and then it's two out of two and you basically job done. But with that win, we've got ourselves, I think, in a really good position to control the rest of this group. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really like about Phillips is just how well he strikes a ball. His technique is absolutely fantastic when he's hitting a ball. Similar to... Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, every hit of the ball is just so well done. I mean, that volley that he hit in the uh, in the first half was just such a lovely hit, taking that out of the sky and hitting it like that. Because Belize, he operates so much deeper um, than he did for England. And he's shown that he can do both very, very well. And it's going to be hard to see uh, Jordan Henderson or Jude Bellingham displace him, uh, to be honest. They're the two who you would say would probably... Uh, be looking at that. So speaking of um, changes, what what changes, if any, would you make to uh, the lineup or even the squad um, with Sancho and Chilwell not um, making the uh, final squad to make Scotland? Uh, yeah, what would you guys uh, what would you guys do ahead of uh, the derby as we're dubbing it uh, on Friday? Uh, I'd, I'd definitely bring Jack Grealish in <clears throat> if I was going to make one one start. One change to somebody to come in to absolutely start that game. It would be Jack Grealish. Um, I think at times, like I said, when the game got a little bit stale, um, I just think, you know, you just give Jack Grealish the ball and something something just changes. I don't think we're going to have to go with Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice, you know, two. And um, for this game, like Luke's just alluded to, 
pretty much qualified. You know, I don't want to talk to you. So, but you're pretty much qualified already. You've beaten the toughest opponent. Um, it's just a case of do not get beat by the next two teams and you're through, um, which should be no problem for us. Um, but yeah, if I was going to make any changes, it'd be Jack Grealish, possibly for Phil Foden. I don't think he had the greatest game in the world on Sunday. I think he, he looked bright early on and obviously he hit the post. Um, but then I think he just sort of drifted out of the game. And obviously I think that's why he got brought off for Rashford on Sunday, just to see if Rashford could could um, freshen it up. Um, and also depending on Harry Kane, if he's not 100% fit, I don't think it's worth risking him right now. So you could possibly play at, uh, you know, at Calvert-Lewin through the middle or possibly um, a Marcus Rashford through the middle for England. If Harry Kane, you know, we don't know what, the update on him since he's had that knock on the head. Um, so, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what, is, what what comes out from that one. But if I was going to make any now, it would definitely be, be uh, Jack Grealish for now. Yeah, I, I agree. I wouldn't be completely opposed to Kane not starting this game either. I think he was kind of... I know he um, obviously had that injury later on in the, in the game with Croatia, but he was probably largely anonymous out of that front three. He was probably the quietest of all... Um, but maybe he's a bit premature to write, to write him off completely. But if he's got, if he's carrying a bit of a knock, then I think Calvert Lewin's more than capable of leading the line for this one against Scotland. But we'll have to wait and see there. Um, in terms of other changes, I completely agree with James. Actually, it's exactly what I was going to say. I think I'm a massive fan of Foden. I think he's probably out of the Foden Grealish Mount trio, which people always seem to compare and contrast. Foden is probably my favourite of the three. Just the way he seems to glide past players and, and kind of protect the ball. He's just so good at progressing up the pitch with the ball at his feet, going past people like they're not there. But I probably would go Grealish for this one. It'd be nice to see him get a start for one, see what he can do. Um, I think a lot of people need to bemoan the fact that England are a bit, like in general, not specifically in this tournament, but just in general quite negative. And they probably prefer a more attacking, swashbuckling kind of style. I mean, England have never really played that well way before but maybe you'd argue you know I'd really like to see Grealish get a go from the start um oh I see what James is saying maybe you don't need Rice and Phillips but I find I find it really hard to 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 drop essentially drop Phillips after that performance I probably would stick stick with them both there um but it'd be good to see Bellingham in the second half get a bit more of a run out than he did on the weekend and then other than that I would probably fullbacks wise I'd maybe flip the fullbacks out and give James and and Shaw a go because I think the beauty of what we've got this tournament is you've got the five subs. So making kind of bigger amounts of changes from your 11 from the last game isn't as much of a risk as if you've got the three, because if something's not going right, you can, in this tournament, unlike in other tournaments, you're probably going to see like fullbacks being subbed a lot more than you would ordinarily. Usually you probably wouldn't sub a fullback unless there was an injury because you'd normally be making changes to your attacking and midfield options. But with the five subs, it means we can do that. So I, I wouldn't, I'd quite like to see, definitely like to see Reese James and Grealish play. Yeah, something that I'm thinking about with this game is the fact that all of Scotland's thread, I assume, um, uh, unless James Boris plays, he looked quite good when he came on. Um, but I think all of their threat will come down the left side. And I would actually quite like to see, I agree with both of you, I think Jack Grealish has got to come in. Um, I would quite like to see Sterling swap wings because Robertson, and I would assume Tierney is going to be back fit, um, Robertson and Tierney will both probably push um, up that wing. And what I'd like to see is Sterling 
with that pace that we saw him use against Croatia, try and pin them and try and um, basically make them think about the space that they're going to leave behind them. And then that gives Grealish um, the opportunity to go onto the left where Scotland are a bit weaker, maybe isolate his man. And then even if, um, and then um, Mount could even, when we don't have the ball, drift wide and sort of almost double up from um, uh, further forward on Scotland's two um, left backs, um, in Tierney and Robertson. And then that just makes them think twice about being able to bomb down um, as they did really well against um, the Czech Republic. And if, uh, if Scotland had actually been able to shoot, uh, then, um, yeah, I think we would have seen Robbo get a couple of assists and having Tierney come in will only make that side more effective. Um, so speaking of um, Scotland, if you let's switch it round. What changes do you think they need to make? I know you talked about Che Adams. Um, and what do you think maybe James Forrest coming in on the right? Yeah, I think those were the, the ones that I think you've got to throw in there. I think Che Adams, Premier League striker, um, he's got the pace as well. And he's quite a strong lad. Um, can hold up the ball pretty well, um, which we've seen him do for Southampton. So. I think he would come in and I, I just think what let Scotland down is the lack of pace. So yeah, I think James Forrest coming in could be a good move for them. Um, but I, I can just see them coming very pragmatic again with five at the back. Um, Kieran Tienim possibly being a left-sided centre-back and, and Robertson being the left wing back and just maybe Scotland trying to get a point out of it. I think if they could get a point out of that, I think they might be, you know, very happy. Um, but I think that's what it's going to come down to is is how does Scotland want to go? Do, do they want to go and try and nick three points against your your biggest rivals, you know, below the border um, at Wembley as well? Or, you know, do you want to try and nick a point and see how you get on against Croatia in the final game where anything could happen? Um, but if I was going to start any, any person, it would definitely be Che Adams. I just think, like I spoke about before, Lyndon Dykes is, is a championship level striker, you know, and I, I don't see his career going any higher than that. That might be a bit, bit brutal and a bit unfair. Um, but I think in an international competition, I think you need to go with players who are playing at the highest level at the moment. And, uh, you know, Shea Adams is definitely doing that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for them is getting Tierney back in so he can dovetail along that left side with Robertson. Um, it's a difficult one. I think it's a fine balancing act for Clark that he's going to have to weigh up here because they're going to. They have to win one of their games, we assume. Um, you don't think you know two draws is going to be enough. So I imagine they'll probably go pragmatic and cautious for the first half, definitely, and see how they get on, see if they can get to half-time at 0-0. But I wouldn't be completely surprised if, in the second half, if there's, you know, if, there, if it's still goalless, going for it a little bit towards the end. I definitely think Chad Adams will start over Dykes. I completely agree with everything James said. I don't think he's good enough at this level. From what I saw against Czech Republic, I thought the Czechs really didn't struggle with him too much. All the threat came down that left-hand side. Um, Christie played quite... He was he was okay, so maybe he stays in and you bring Forrest in in the second half if if needs be. Um, but I think, the yeah, like I said, the biggest thing for Scotland is getting Tierney back fit. I think... I'll, all Scottish fans kind of groaned in tandem where they looked at the starting eleven against the Czech Republic and realised that Tierney wasn't fit because his relationship with Robertson on that left side is one of Scotland's biggest assets. But 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens from both sides. I think it'll play into England's hands what happened to Scotland on um, Monday because and England getting the positive result as well because all the pressure is on Scotland in a game that they're going into second favourites anyway and they need to get a result. But I guess from a Scottish perspective, what better place to get your tournament going than, than against England at Wembley if they can get a positive result out of that? It, you know, if they were to nick it, for example, and win it 1-0, then it puts a completely different perspective on their entire campaign. So it's going to be really interesting to see the team selection for both sides on Friday. Absolutely. And finally, just before we go, um, can I get your predictions, please, for uh, England versus Scotland? I'm going to go with 3-0 England. I think Scotland are going to come and be really pragmatic. Um, and I just think the, the once the first goal goes in, I think they could be there for the take in Scotland. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go 3-0 England. I think England will win. Um, I'm not sure it will be quite as convincing as that, just because in derby games, these things have a tendency to be a bit more cagey. Um, but I think England will have too much for them. I'm going to say the Scots score and will England win 2-1. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you've pretty much taken the words out of my mouth there, Luke. Uh, <laughs> um, I will change it up and say 3-1. I think it's going to be 2-1 to England until really late. It's going to get nervy and England fans will start having flashbacks. And then Scotland will push too high and Raheem Sterling or Marcus Rashford or some, someone out of the stupidly fast forwards that England have uh, will make that break in behind the line and uh, finish off the game, I think. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me, James and Luke. Always an absolute pleasure um, having you on. Always a pleasure as always. Thanks for having us again. Cheers, mate. And fingers crossed we're talking about another England win next week. Here is hoping. Well, thank you very much, listeners, for joining us at the Premier League Central Eurocast. Uh, you can catch us on our Twitter account. Um, that's going to be at Premier League Central. Um, or you can find us with our friends at Anfield Central. Um, and if you want to have a look at some of the longer pieces that are being written, you can have a look at our website, premierleaguecentral.co.uk. Until next time, listeners, have a lovely few days and we will speak to you soon and keep enjoying the Euros. Bye. I'm going to pay that Twitter account tonight. And um, we've got the picture and stuff. So if I have to do the trick with the capital I um, for it, then I will. And I'll put up the login details. And if I don't do it tonight and I'm fucked after watching the Portugal game, I'll do it in the morning before I um, uh, do the podcast. And um, we can put it out before the England game. For sure. Sounds yep. good, man. Sounds good. I've got uh, the Portugal game on right now. Yeah, I heard Guerrero just scored a fucking horrific goal. <laughs> yeah, and he, I felt sorry, though, because Hungary scored in the 80th minute. Um, but it was offside. Oh, um, God. So, so, so because the full capacity. They went the whole sta- yeah. yeah, the whole stadium just went absolutely mental when Hungary scored to go 1-0 up. And then it got ruled out. And then... <laughs> They've scored a shitty deflection that went to the other side of the goal and then Ronaldo scored a penalty as he always does. 
Oh, fuck yes. My uh, my fancy team is doing very well. Guerrero and Ronaldo in my Euro 2020 fantasy <laughs> team. Yes, boys. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got Lukaku to finish top goal scorer. That's my bet. That's the only one still going. Yeah, that's not this bad. Weekend. Oh, not I have shot up. Wait, where's my fucking... Uh, where's my Guerrero? Oh, maybe the transfer hasn't been made yet. God damn it. That's annoying. I don't know if it'll go down as an own goal as well because he scuffs it and it, it's going towards the right-hand side of the goal. So Golaski dives and then it takes a massive deflection and just goes to the left-hand side of the goal. It just creeps in. Fair. I've got Patricio in goal for them, um, for them at the moment because you just know that um, Portugal are just going to grind one nils all throughout the tournament. <laughs> I've got I've got Donnarumma and Benucci. I, I don't think anyone's scoring past the Italians. Oh, is it? I am behind on Sky Go, so we cut over to Max. He's going to give us. Yeah, my TV's on behind, but I just can't see it. It looks like it says. Oh, I just got got a notification through my Euro app. Yeah, it's Ronaldo again. Fuck yes. Go on. Oh, I hate the bastard, but he's getting me fancy team points, so nailed it. All right, gents, I will uh, I'll love you and leave you. And um yeah, I'll yeah. give you guys a shout when doing this. And sorry about everything, but I've just I've had to drive till into work um about half an hour away every day this week. Um so it's just made getting back for the podcast early enough for you boys a bit tricky. Um, so yeah, I'll try and make it a bit easier um, when we go before the England game, and I'll try and get Ian on um, if he's not feeling too sick. Sweet, cool. Cheers, mate. All right, speech and